This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Jack, I have to tell you something. Oh God, what do you have to tell me? So I realized I have this new fear and it revolves around like Instagram and social media. And oh, I made my first post announcing our partnership with Co-Fertility today, right? And I mean, like A, it was really beautiful, all the comments that were coming in from everyone, like appreciative for the information, but there were a ton of like super transphobic comments that were like, Wait, really? Yes. Like what? Uh, I, uh, oh my gosh, this like makes me upset already. Yeah. And I, I was responding to some of them and, you know, obviously it's a professional business ad post and I was like trying to be like not snip at them and be like, you're a fucking idiot. But some of them were like, it's a mental disease. You aren't doing anything but like encouraging their disability. And I was like, oh, I'm sorry. Being gay, trans, and um, or like lesbian is is not a disease, but um, you should really, <laughs> you're so Christ-like. You should maybe think about how if people are made in God's image, and Christ probably isn't too uh, appreciative of how you're treating these people. But oh my god, it makes me sick to my stomach. I agree. It's also like when people start crossing boundaries of that of like really disrespecting other groups of people or saying things that are insensitive to entire communities or groups of people. Like that's when I delete comments. Like I don't, some people are like, you shouldn't delete your comments. It's a free speech, whatever. I'm like, fuck that. I'm going to delete comments. No, it's harmful. It's yeah, harmful. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so I, re- I reported them reporting and deleting, but my fear I've realized is that like, I'm going to like tell someone off and like really lose my shit on somebody and like they're going to show up to like yeah. Michael's family dinner or something at, oh like the God. next holiday because like it, it could be someone that I haven't met yet. And then it's like, oh, awkward. I blocked you. <laughs> that is so I mean, that's a kind of like. I mean, it's, it's kind of funny. It's kind of funny. It's kind of funny. Like, somewhat realistic fear, though. It really um, could be. It that could reminds happen. me of um, on our TikTok account. We also got like an interesting comment on one of the videos that I um, posted, and really? I thought it was a really cute video. It was like, um, point of view. You're in your mid thirties, thriving in your career having close relationships with your friends and family, traveling the world, and only willing to be a dog mom for now. I thought it was cute. And somebody, some guy commented, sounds like a you problem. I'm like, I didn't even respond because I'm like, well, yeah, it is. Like, yes, it's my, it's my, like, what? I was like, he's clearly trying to be a dick about it. But I was like, yeah, like, it isn't, yeah, like, it's my, it is my problem. Like, it's not your problem. Like, what? What is it bothering you? Why is it bothering you how you choose to live your life? (laughs) Also, like, congrats. Like, you don't have a uterus or ovaries to worry about. So, like must be nice like yeah goodbye like thank you for commenting on our video whatever people are yeah unfortunately uh people are coming out of woodworks as they do on social media oh they sure do but today I'm so pumped we are going to be doing we haven't done like a full-on nursing Q&A in a minute so that's what we've got going for y'all today we are so excited one thing I want to touch on though before we get into the episode is that y'all things are going to hell in Tennessee. And 
I don't even say that as like a joke or to be light or make fun of it. I am really worried about the state of democracy in Tennessee, which was my home for 12 years. Three Democratic elected representatives were expulsed, faced expulsion. They were removed from their positions on a House vote, which is illegal, by the way, for peacefully protesting gun violence with their constituents. That's what they were doing. There have been other members of the Tennessee House of Representatives who have faced molestation charges. They weren't expulsed. I don't even know if, if expulsed is a word, but I'm just going to keep using it. I think that sounds right. Keep using another, it. A f- another fucking member peed on some guy's chair in the House of like Tennessee Representatives. He didn't get expulsed. But then you have three representatives. Well, I should say two, like the two young black men were removed and they didn't remove uh, Gloria Johnson, um, who is white. But I think she may have stepped down in solidarity with them. But it's so frustrating. (laughs) So basically, these elected officials now have to get themselves reelected because there are all these vacant seats. So I just want to encourage everybody who is listening, especially if you're in Nashville, don't stop protesting, peacefully protest, keep it up because like, we have to make this change. We have to end gun violence, like at least make it fucking harder to get a gun and remove assault rifles because those are military grade weapons. I don't fucking care if you like to shoot them or like target shoot with them. They are not a hunting rifle. They are made to kill mass amounts of people. We don't need them full stop. I also just feel like people that are so pro gun rights don't even give a shit about their own guns. It's more of just the ideology and the like the political conversation around it that they get so fucking worked up over. Like they just want to be able to say like, I have the right to bear arms and they're just not educated on what that laws actually look like. I was curious, like how you feel not like physically living in Tennessee anymore, but um, obviously this is all happening so much in Tennessee. All I, I mean, I have so much to say on this topic, but I'll, I'll keep it short with, it's just so disgusting and how, and so unfortunate and tragic that when something like the event happened in Nashville a few weeks ago with the latest um, shooting in the school, that this is the response. It's like, mm-hmm. can't we all try to come together to come up with a solution? And not just in Tennessee, but around the country. Why? I, I just don't understand. How are you feeling like not being in Tennessee right now? It's really hard. Like, I can't sit there and like, the Capitol is literally where everyone is protesting is like four blocks from me. Wow. Where I used to live. Like I would have, I would have been there every freaking day. I would have had my arms chained with all these kids. It's just, Oh, it's so disappointing. It's that, really like, disappointing. Th- to this see is, that, yeah. This is how you're handling this tragedy when there's families mourning, more mm-hmm. families mourning. And we still have, more gun deaths in this country for children than any other country in the world, any yeah. other developed country in the world. And guns are the leading cause of death for people, for, for kids under the age of 18. How can you look at the statistics and not try to come together and do something? And it, it's a shame that they're trying in Tennessee and then, and then this is the result. Well, that's going to make other elected officials fucking scared to do something too. Yeah. You literally have kids 
kids, like young grade school kids, there with their parents, having to walk out of school, like begging for school to be safe, begging to not be killed at school. And some of these Republican officials have the off fucking dacity to call them insurrectionists. I know. I know. What a joke. What I'm like, yeah. are you, I'm sorry. We don't have cops running for their lives. We don't have people actively shooting and destroying our nation's capital. I, <laughs> I know. I don't think it's a coincidence either that all this is happening around the same time that Trump was indicted. It seems mm-hmm. like the far rights are just really off their fucking rockers. But I will say for anybody listening, whether you're a nursing student or a nurse or you're a healthcare worker, it is your job to get involved in these sorts of conversations. Gun violence is absolutely a public health issue and can and should be addressed through a public health lens. So even if you're a nursing student, which I think this is a great segue into our conversation for nursing students, I think this is a perfect time for you to start getting involved with different efforts that are aligned with your beliefs and whether that's gun violence or whether that's reproductive rights or LGBTQ rights, there are a lot of ways to get involved, whether that's on your campus, at your local hospital, different school organizations, community organizations, but you are about to have a career where your opinion is valued and trusted and it's time to start using your voice. And I hope that, you know, our healthcare workers listening can and know that they are valued in these conversations. That was an excellent segue. And I had, I want to piggyback off of that too. This is entirely the perfect time to start finding your voice in healthcare in these issues. You know, maybe your senior thesis is on um, inc- ways to include more inclusive language in your care or bringing up these types of conversations in learning to do health assessments and stuff like that. Like, ask your teachers, ask the questions. That's how things start getting changed. And that's how you become a better nurse that is able to better care for all of your patients. Absolutely. And I will say, I do think that a lot of, at least I can speak on behalf of my bachelor's and master's nursing students, I know that they are interested, they're involved, they want to look for ways to start using their background for social justice change. So a hundred percent, I hundred percent agree with you. You know, maybe in our stories this week, we can put up some extra resources if you're interested in getting involved with gun violence, some organizations that D and I are both aligned with. So we'll follow up on our stories this week, take a look in different ways that you can get involved. But Dee and I are excited this episode to direct it to nursing students. Are you ready to dive into some nursing questions, nursing school questions? I'm really excited. Honestly, when all these questions started coming through and we have a lot of them, I don't know if we'll get to everyone, but we can... I'm saving all of these questions if we can't get to all of them today. But it really had me back in being like 17 and 18, thinking about being scared and anxious about what nursing school is going to even be like. So I know. let alone taking the NCLEX. But yes, I'm like, I couldn't even comprehend what the NCLEX was at like 17 and 18 when I was. You know. Oh, I know. I know. I guess let's try and. Not rapid fire, but let's try and answer as many of these as we can. 
Yeah, let's jump in because we did get a lot of questions about the NCLEX. But before we get into the NCLEX, a question I get all of the time, and I know a lot of you are heading into finals. So let's just let's just do this rapid fire. How to study, how to study for nursing school, because I think that leads into how to study for the NCLEX. So I just made a TikTok video about this, which I'll share in our stories too, because Danielle, this is actually the most common question I get in nursing school from my students. They always ask, you know, I'm really not doing well in this class. I'm trying so hard, but I'm not getting, I'm not getting the scores that I want in exams. How should I study? Here is my foolproof method method that I do for the heavy hitter classes. And then Danielle, I'm curious to hear how you studied for your heavy hitter classes. So okay. I'm thinking like pathopharm, med surge, like your management classes. You know, we're not talking easy breezy classes here. We're talking your heavy hitters. So how in the quickest way, I'm going to say how you should study is the night before your lecture. I want you to go in, look at the objectives for that lecture. If you're a handwritten note person, I want you to print out a physical copy of these objectives and press enter, 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 leave a space to answer each objective below the objective. You print this packet out ahead of the lecture. I don't care if you do it the morning of, just print it out before the lecture. Bring that packet to the lecture. Chances are your instructor has uh, made their presentation and made their lecture based on the objectives. So this packet is more or less going to be your study guide when it comes time for the exam, because the professor is not going to ask questions that aren't covered in the objectives. And good news is if they do ask a question that you don't think is fair because it wasn't on the objectives, well, you can shove this in their face after the exam and say, hey, this question wasn't on the objectives. Here's my study guide. Look at how much work I did. Okay. So back to the study guide. I want you to bring this to lecture. I want you to start filling in the answers during lecture. Don't go crazy. Don't like you know, be so focused trying to fill everything in that you're not trying to pay attention and learn, pay attention, get through lecture. But during that week, at some point, I want you to go back and re-listen to that lecture. And I know this is annoying, but most nursing schools now actually put lectures on Zoom, where back in the day, D and I used to have to go in with a freaking little recording machine before you could even record things on your phone Mm -hmm. and ask permission to record lectures. Y'all are lucky that they put these things on Zoom now. That week, yes, that week, I know it's annoying, but this is how you're going to not get behind. That week, I want you to go back, re-listen to the lecture, keep filling in the answers to the objectives because most likely you zoned out at some point. You would be shocked at how many times professors give away literal like word-for-word answers on the exam when they're speaking during lecture that you somehow missed the first time. And then after you've re-listened to the lecture, that's when I want you to go to your other materials. That's when I want you to open up the book that's when I want you to use your YouTube, your osmosis, your, you know, all the different people that you watch on Instagram to help you fill in the gaps of that study guide. If you don't understand one of the objectives completely, that's when you go to the book. That's when you read about it in the book and go to all these other things. Reading 300 pages covered in your book before the lecture, realistically, no one's got time for that and it's not going to help you. So this is how you should do it. Then that becomes your study guide before the exam. Now you have a study guide for each respective lecture already done. Now all you have to do is go back and study those objectives that you've already filled out. And if you need help remembering things, then that's when you go and you start making flashcards off of like the little details that you're struggling to remember from these objectives. I'm telling you, this is what got me through my bachelor's, master's, doctorate. And this is like a foolproof method. Every student I've ever had do this always comes back and tells me I'm acing my exams. That's brilliant. (laughs) 
I mean, Jack, that's fucking brilliant. And y'all, she's a freaking clinical instructor. She lectures. She has to make these tests. Like you were literally getting it from your teacher's ears. Yes, because I can say, Danielle, when I lecture, and I know a lot of other professors are like this too, we literally go through the exam the day before we lecture because we want to make sure that our lecture is fair, that we hit and covered everything that's going to be on your exam, that something isn't like a total curveball because we know that's just going to require, it's not just going to suck for you, it's going to suck for us because we know that it's not going to be a fair question and we're going to have all this arguing about a question. So I look at the exam the night before I give that lecture. So everything on that exam is going to somehow tie back to something in the lecture. So on top of that, little tips while you're listening in lecture and when you're going through this study guide, if you see, I try to start thinking, put yourself in the shoes of your instructor and be like, hmm, this would make a good question. If we're looking at like, for example, two diseases, like we're looking at osteoarthritis versus rheumatoid arthritis, right? You learn about those right back to back. They have a lot of similarities and differences. That should that should signal like a big red flash in your brain saying, oh, oh I'm comparing two different diseases. This is going to be a place for, for them to ask a question because they're going to want to make sure that I know the differences between these. These are easy to get mixed up. So they're probably going to ask me, ooh, what are the symptoms of this one compared to this one? Start thinking like a like a, a professor, like start thinking like how, what would I ask about? What's important here? That's amazing. Mm-hmm. I know I've been in school a long time. You I'm have so been. There. You have been. But I'm curious now that you're a professor, do you know mm-hmm. why and which answer to choose now? Like, do you have oh tips on this? When, like, because there's always two right answers. <laughs> I know it's in nursing school. We joke that it's always which one is the most right. They're all right, but which yeah. one is the most right? How do you my, pick which is the most sim- right? The most simple advice is if it comes back to your ABCs, to airway breathing circulation, if it comes back to something that's going to be life threatening, always go with that. Go with if you're really not sure, always start with that. So when you are studying, this is the other tip I say when you're studying for these kind of like nursing exams where they're going to ask you those sorts of priority questions. When you start to see complications, like if there's a slide that says complications of like leg surgery, complications of uh, appendicitis, that also is a really important slide because what are complications? That's going to be your future problem as a nurse that you're going to have to deal with. So complications are going to be the things that go wrong. So I want you to start looking at those complications what it would look like, like what would happen to the vitals? What would the patient present as? And then what would I do? And then start to think about it ahead of time. Well, if they're coming out of surgery, like right out of surgery, what's going to be some of the most important things that I'm looking for? It's going to be their sedation level. It's going to be monitoring that site to look for any bleeding. It's going, yes, like their pain management is going to be important, but what's more important is that, is there, are they having any um, laryngeal spasms after being extubated? Are they like losing way too much blood through this? Are they bleeding through their abdominal pads every five minutes? Are they losing too much blood? Those are the ABCs, airway, breathing, circulation. Those are the things that could really harm or kill your patient. So go with that. Fucking brilliant. (laughs) (laughs) 
Maybe we should have done this episode in September when everyone was just getting into nursing school, but maybe it's helpful now that you're studying for finals. Yeah, they could just circle back. Yeah, yeah, we'll save this one for later. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay, what's next on the list? Or I want to hear you really quick. Do you have anything to add off of that? No, literally when I was in school, we would just sit there and I I don't, I, sometimes I don't know how I made it through nursing school. Like I would sit there and retype my notes after lecture just so I could like have it fresh in my brain again. But again, I went to school and we still had like, like barely ever had a PowerPoint. It was like the laminate, you know, things that like teachers would write on and like project them up onto the screen. Yeah. So you wouldn't have access to it like later on, like, you know, everything's on black, everything's online now, everything's uh, at your disposal. Yeah. I know. No, don't listen to me and how I studied because like I literally made up the most like crazy mnemonics to remember things and just like prayed. (laughs) Those are always great, though. Those are always great and so helpful. Pinterest. I said this in one of our other episodes. Pinterest has great mnemonics. Um, Pinterest, there's a website, Osmosis, YouTube. There's tons of other resources besides prep cycle book. i'm sure there's yeah. something oh that God, breaks that cycle. down a lot better that's where we need to change the subject i'm getting yeah. ptsd okay. from okay. cycle changing from krebs cycle i thought some of these were really interesting because they were just like basic fears that people have about school so one person asked do you have to know what type of nurse you want to be before heading into college oh i want to hear your response to this first no you don't have to. You don't have to know what kind of nurse you want to be. That's what that's what clinicals are for. And and a, a second question was how do clinicals help prepare you? So I'm going to I'm going to stack both of these together here. You know, you might have an interest in a certain field like say you're like I want to go to nursing school. I want to be a peds nurse. I want to work with kids. And then you get into clinicals and you're in your peds rotation and you're like holy shit, I can't do this. What now? Well, lucky for you, you have like five or six other clinicals in different areas and specialties of nursing that are going to teach you different things that you might feel more comfortable in a different setting. So you absolutely do not need to know what type of nurse you want to be. Use clinicals, use your lectures, use your different courses and stuff throughout nursing to figure out where you feel comfortable, what you want to keep learning about, what you really want to specialize in. And in that aspect, clinicals really do help you prepare and give you an idea of what it's like to work in different units. I 100% agree with your answer, 100%. And now that you're talking about how sweet of a question this is, is I think about the students that sometimes compare themselves to other students that the ones that maybe seem like they have it all figured out. Like they're like, oh, well, I know that I'm going to be a NICU nurse and then I'm going to become an acute care nurse practitioner and blah, 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 blah. It's like, just because some of your classmates may think they want to go into X field does not mean you should have any idea what you want to get into. In fact, I think, I mean, I won't say that's to, to not have a good idea of what you want to get into. I think you can go either way. If you like go into nursing school, knowing you want to be an L&D nurse and that's it. And you're going just to be an L&D nurse. And then you go to your L&D clinical and it's everything you dreamed of. And you go to your med surge clinical and you're like, absolutely not. I can never work with adults, L&D all the way. Then I think that's great. I think that works for a lot of people. But on the other hand, I think there's some people that go in 
with an idea and it ends up changing or they go in with no idea. And it's, it's a, it's nice to be able to go in with an open mind and see what you like and see what you don't like. And exactly like Dee said, pay attention during your clinicals. You'll start to get that intuition of if you love being around kids, listen to that intuition. If taking care of kids scares the absolute shit out of you, like it did for me, then maybe you just know it's not for you. Or if you see a live birth and you almost pass out and you thought it was going to be this magical moment that was going to change your life, but you almost passed out and you're like, honestly, I don't need to see that many secretions coming out of vagina. Also how I felt. Then you're like, not LND. So go in with an open mind and pay attention to these little things and don't compare yourself to everybody else that seems like they have it all figured out. Great advice. Did you feel well prepared to become a nurse after college? No, and I don't think anybody does. Exactly. Yeah. I feel like college and clinicals give you like your base facts. You really learn to be a nurse when you start your first job, which is why it, in my opinion, is so, so, so important to look for nurse residency programs. And when you're interviewing for new nursing jobs as a new grad, ask them what their orientation program is like, ask them what resources you're going to have as a new grad, what is the length of training, stuff like that, where you are working with a preceptor, learning to get the flow of the unit. That's where you are like the most fully immersed in unit specific nursing is when you get off, off the floor and search your first job. A hundred percent. And Danielle, you can attest to this because you worked in the NICU. If, when, if you work in the NICU, you're probably going to learn 0.001% of what you need to learn to work in the NICU in nursing school. You're going to yeah. learn some of that prioritization stuff. Like that's mm-hmm. where that's going to come in handy. But like if I was in nursing school, I don't think I could even tell you what a normal set of vitals were for a new, for a preemie. Like I couldn't even tell you the basic of that. So yes, I completely agree. Like I, you're going to learn everything on your first job. But that also doesn't mean don't take your clinicals seriously. Exactly. Because you're, if, if anything is really actually going to help you in that first job, it's if you try to make the most of clinicals and just don't put pressure on yourself to know everything because there's physicians on the unit that don't know everything. There's nobody on the unit knows everything. Nobody. Not the nurses, not the providers, not the MPs, PAs, nobody. Nobody. So don't expect to know everything in clinicals, but that is your opportunity to start getting more comfortable with patients and providing one-on-one patient care and prioritizing patients. Yes. Yes. That's where you're going to stop shaking every time you have to give an injection or like getting a frog in your throat every time you have to do a patient assessment. Or ask an uncomfortable question. (laughs) How's your lochia? (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So speaking of that, this wasn't a question, but this is also one of the questions I get most common. Danielle, I want to hear your top tip for somebody going into clinicals. What, what's your Ooh, favorite tip? Okay. When I was in nursing school, <laughs> which is a long time ago. So like, again, I don't know how much of this has changed or not, but we would get our um, patient assignments the night before. 
or it's like day before. So that day before we were allowed to go up to the hospital, look through all the charts. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So like we could get an idea of what we were going to be walking into med list. So we could like study those beforehand. Like we could do that um, the day before clinical. So I would do that. I would go and I would have looked up all my meds, write down like the pharmacology of those. Um, and I would try and like prepare myself for like, okay, what is the normal flow? What are the first things that you need to do? You need to get a set of vitals. Maybe you have a CNA that's already gone through and got those, but um, I would encourage you to to go and do those yourself just so that you familiarize yourself with the routine and being hands-on doing that with patients. Then you're going to go and look at like your med list, right? Actually, no, first you're going to go, you're going to go sit and report and you're going to hear mm-hmm. what um, the previous nurse has reported on for like any changes that way. Oh my God, losing train of thought. I'm like, oh wait, no, you should do this. You should do that. But just, I love, but I love it though. It's like how, like yeah. look up your stuff ahead of time. Even if you can't look it up the night before, like mm-hmm. if you're getting all this stuff the morning of, take some time and go yeah. over those important things and those mm-hmm. priorities of what you're going to have to do. Like kind of planning yeah. your day, it sounds like. Yes. And and bring your med book along too. That like, you know, everyone has like a little like Actually, med Danielle, um, they literally don't anymore because it's all on your phone. Well, never mind then. <laughs> so I'm not even Shows kidding. Shows my like, age. I don't I was going to no, say same. put post-it notes and highlight no, what meds you're going to Literally kill. same. Like they don't have med books because they all use their phones now. Which is more efficient, I guess. But, way, more yeah. f- way more efficient, less to carry. I don't but even yeah. think they know what a med book is, which is just like the funniest thing. I'm like, good thing you don't <laughs> have to carry this freaking heavy ass thing around yeah. with you. And I would also say, prepare for your day, make a list of things that you're going to do, but also get some sleep. Please get some sleep. It's not going to be as bad as you think it is. Yeah, I agree. And I actually breaks. get kind of frustrated with my students that say, oh, I only got two hours of sleep last night. I'm like, like, because you couldn't sleep or because you're up until 3 a.m. studying? Like, don't study till 3 a.m. Like, get sleep before clinical. Like, yeah, come on, come on, come on. So you can anyway. be refreshed. I don't know. What do you, what do you think? So my favorite tip is one that I, I'm going to share the one that I don't hear very often, but this one is so true. It's follow other healthcare workers into your patient's room. This is where you're going to learn so many things. And this is something you don't really, you, you do get to do as a nurse. I remember I used to, I used to do this all the time when I was a nurse. Um, but sometimes you don't always get the chance to, cause you're, if you have other patients and whatnot, if you see, I had, I had a student last week say, you know, I was going to go do this, but the physician came in with the residents and I didn't want to, you know, bother the patient. I said, go back in there. I was like, what do you mean? Go back in there. Go listen, go listen to what they're going to say. They're not going to take you out. Like you're the nurse, you're the nurse, nursing student that is with that patient for the day. This is your patient. Mm -hmm. Like ask, I mean, a lot of times, personally, I don't think you need to even ask for permission to stay in there because you're the nursing student. And I would just make yourself be known and say, Hey, my name is so-and-so. I'm the uh, nursing student with this patient today. Is it okay if I sit in? They're not going to say no. So whether it's the physician, the resident, a medical student, the RT, PT, OT, go in and watch what they're doing. They'll yes. teach you. You will learn what that specialty is doing. And you're going to learn so much more about that patient's plan of care. Mm-hmm. It's just some of my favorite days when I was a nursing student were when I got to be more like involved in like the rounds and kind of like hear everything about what's going yeah. on with the patient. I would also say own what you're there to do. Mm-hmm. 
which may sound kind of silly, but like, I know, I know the fear and anxiety of going in and even just saying hi to your patient. Yeah. I promise you that gets so much easier, but own what you're there to do. You are there to learn. You are there to advocate for this patient and you are there to take care of them. And that's okay. And it's okay if you're scared. We do a lot of things scared every single day and that's okay because the next day you're going to be a little less scared and the next time you're going to be a little less scared, but like own what you're there to do and don't let anyone kick you out. A hundred percent. And D that reminds me that kind of leads into the next question about owning what you're there for owning what you're doing. We got this a few times. Can you talk about how it's okay to be a bedside nurse? Mm -hmm. We need them and we need to highlight them more. What do you think? Definitely. Yeah. I think the problem comes in with how hospital systems can treat bedside nurses. Mm -hmm. But if you can do it, if you can stick it out, if you have the capacity to join these other committees to like fight for change for your fellow bedside nurses... That's amazing. But we really do. We need more bedside nurses. And yeah. even if you're just working bedside for a couple years, like that's okay too. But like get some good experience in it. And I mean, like it's fun. I love bedside nursing. Yeah. It was just the hospital systems that are, you know, more yeah. difficult to deal with. Yeah. And don't like take what Danielle and I say. Danielle and I both have our own personal reasons for why. Mm-hmm. We both individually left the hospital. That is not to say you ever need to leave the hospital. I have a really great friend that has been a bedside nurse and now works part-time as a manager in that unit because she loves the hospital. She loves the Mm -hmm. bedside. Or you don't even have to do that. You could just work at the bedside and become a charge nurse. Don't become a charge nurse and yeah. just become the most badass nurse on your unit. Like Exactly. A hundred percent. Be that I, resource for everyone else on your unit. Exactly. Exactly. So that's not, you know, I, and I, I'm glad that someone brought this up because mm-hmm. you and I, I think do such an amazing job of bringing guests on this podcast to highlight the fact that, hey, you, you there's more beyond the bedside. You don't have to right. just stay at the bedside, but on the flip side, we do love our bedside nurses. Danielle and I were both bedside nurses. We mm-hmm. love it. We support it. And I miss it at times. Yeah, I really same, like same. I miss walking in thinking that I'm going to have, you know, either a one to one. I'm sitting ECMO. I've got like three feeder growers, you know, and I'm just going to line them all up like eight and 11 and or like, sorry, like eight, eight thirty and nine. Like I'm going to get all three of them done on my like half hour shift. I miss that. But I also have found something else that works a little bit better for my lifestyle and makes me feel better. Exactly. So you know, it's really, everyone is going to find where they feel the happiest and safest working, but the bedside is an incredible place to be. That's where you make lifelong connections with patients with, for me, like I literally just, Jack, I literally just got a message from a patient of mine who turned six. Oh my God. That's so sweet. Six. Oh my God. And they literally like his mom messaged me and was like, just think about you every time this year and knowing that like you saved my son. And it's like, oh God, yeah, I'm not going to lose it. I'm not going to cry right now. But that is unbelievable. Unbelievably sweet. I agree. The bedside is where you make you, you make those long-term memories too. Like you remember 
patients. I remember patients from my first year of working out. They'll always stick with me. So yeah, I agree. Okay. So I think this is really fun because I think we'll both have different answers for this. How long after graduating, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say from nursing school, okay. should you start working or looking for a job? And I feel like we're going to have very different answers on this. Oh, we are. <laughs> so I'm going to go first. <laughs> I love this question. Because this is because this is what worked well for me. For mm-hmm. me, I was so scared of like forgetting what I had learned and forgetting what I had like prepped for with the NCLEX that I literally hadn't graduated yet. I had already interviewed, had a job lined up in the NICU in a like a nurse residency program. And I took my boards. In July, it was July 4th that I found out that I passed. I had already been working from June. I graduated like May 7th or something, maybe had like two weeks off, started beginning of June, took my boards, and then I was like, boom, boom, boom. That's the path I took, which worked out great for me. I feel like Jack's going to be like, no, go to Italy and then Scotland and then maybe think about taking boards. Take your boards a year later. <laughs> fine. Everything's fine. <laughs> no, actually, Danielle, that is exactly how both of my sisters did it, too. And I would say mm-hmm. that's how the majority does it. I think it has to do with the fact that if you go into nursing, you are somewhat of a organized type A, like mm-hmm. overachieving person. So you want to have it all figured <laughs> out. You're like, what? where's the job? Like, you're ready. But uh, yes, I'm, my advice is on the completely other end. I wouldn't say that's my advice. My advice is do whatever works for you. But mm-hmm. my um, perspective will say is I think it's a wonderful time to take some time off. I don't yeah. think that, um, and I'm sure you would agree with this, you're not going to forget everything that you learned in nursing school because what you're going to learn is a lot of what you didn't learn in nursing school. So yeah. my advice would be if you can, if you have been able to save up a little bit and you can take some time to travel, try to do that. I traveled Southeast Asia after nursing school, which is a very affordable place to travel when you're young. Um, so I would say take some time off, travel. I know some people that even just got like waitress jobs for the summer just to kind of have like a fun summer and take time and studying for their boards and a break and like make some money, get to hang out with your friends. Because once you start your first nursing job, you're going to be in that job for most likely at least a year, if not more, before you can kind of take some like real time away. So mm-hmm. enjoy a little bit of a break. There's a nursing shortage right now. You'll find a job. Everything's <laughs> going to be okay. You will. You will. If, but if you know that you are not going to be able to relax unless you have that job lined up, then just get the job lined up and get started. Yeah. Or your board's done. Hell, yeah. Like if you your, won't get yeah. your board's done and then take some time off and be like, oh, fuck, I'm okay now. I, I actually completely agree with that. That's what I should. <laughs> no one should be taking advice from me, to be honest. Like, just don't even listen to what I'm saying. Because you're going to have a year late, a year go by and be like, wow, I actually don't remember anything now. <laughs> well, that's where you should take Latrina Walden's uh, NP board classes. Oh my so, God, honestly. Yeah. Okay. Moving on. Next question. Oh, this one I found really interesting because this was a path that I strongly considered for a while. Um, Someone asked, is it a good starting place for experience working in pre-op or PACU if you want to end up in anesthesia? Here's my thing. 
most CRNA schools or nurse anesthetist schools require at least two years ICU experience. So while pre-op and PACU is where you're going to primarily be working the most and like OR, like circulating stuff like that is where you're primarily going to be working as a nurse anesthetist, you need to know how to critically manage patients first, which is why most schools will not accept you unless you have at least two years adult ICU experience. Some do allow for PICU-NICU experience, um, and we'll count that when you're going back to school for it, but most are, are like really cracked down on like the adult ICU side of it. So I don't know. What do you think? A hundred percent. Completely agree. I have nothing to add, really. Um, <laughs> get your eyes on the prize and go right to the ICU is what I say. Go right yeah. to the ICU. Don't even go to a, any sort of med surge or pack you anything. Go straight to the ICU. To be honest, like this is just also my personal experience. So like, don't like take it with a grain of salt. If pre-op or pack you is like your jam. Personally, I don't love these units at all. Like to be, to be completely honest, I, I don't, I think that for a new grad, um, I know that there's a lot of job openings, but it's probably, I don't know. It's just like not one of my favorite units to be on. I feel like it can be really repetitive. Like a pack you just kind of feels like you're doing the same thing all the time. Yes, you are potentially managing some harder complications, um, complications post-op, but yeah, go to the, especially if you're considering nurse anesthetist, don't waste your time. Go to the IR. Yeah. Or the ICU. Yeah. Sorry. I don't know why I said IR. I was thinking about (laughs) interventional radiology. Who knows? Whatever. Okay. Love that. Next question. Um, so again, we got another question on, do you need to start in med surge? We both have talked about this a lot. No. You absolutely no. do not need to start in med surge if you know for a fact you do not want to work in med surge. But again, if you are living in like a more rural town, I would really consider moving to if if you don't want to start in med surge, but you know you want to be a bedside nurse working like something more specialized like L and D, PICU, NICU, something like that. You've got to go to a bigger hospital system because those bigger hospital systems will have nurse residency programs that you might have like three to six month orientations on. You will have a dedicated preceptor. You will have dedicated extra classes and that will set you up for success on that unit and allow you to specialize in a field that you want. 100%. Again, easy to answer. Easy to answer. Or if you don't know what you want to do then a med med surge unit is not a bad place to be because you are going to learn so many foundational skills that you can take to any other unit in any other situation. If you don't know what you want to do and you have multiple job opportunities, then yeah, do it. But if you know for sure you don't want to, then absolutely don't do it. Med surge, (laughs) yeah. Med surge, I worked worked as a CNA in college on a med surge unit. I learned a ton. I learned so much, got to see a lot of really cool patients and surgeries. That's where I got really comfortable with working with drains, hemovacs, wound care, stuff like that. So like, that's where you're going to see a lot of like traditional nursing and be like not scared of handling certain yeah, things. A hundred percent. I actually want to go back to another question that someone submitted earlier. Yeah. Taking care of your mental health as a nurse, because I, mm-hmm. I was just thinking about med surge and bedside nursing um, and needing <laughs> mental health support because it's not yes. an easy job. What are some of your best tips for taking care of your mental health as a nurse? Line up a therapist. Mm-hmm. Use your employee assistance programs. Every hospital has them. And the, if you 
need more. Usually those are just like social workers Mm -hmm. working in that they aren't necessarily licensed therapists, but they can set you up then with licensed therapists that will be covered under your insurance policies. So make use of your resources and like start therapy. 100%. I have two quick tips for this. One, since this is an episode kind of dedicated to nursing students that are going to go be nurses, I will say, I want you to acknowledge the fact that you're about to have a huge life transition. Going from school to the workplace is a very big transition. Your whole life is going to change and how your day-to-day life is organized. You're going to go from having a to-do list, having things always on your docket, having you know to kind of worry about the next thing. And a lot of people do really well in that school environment. You may say, oh, I hate studying. I hate being in school. It's not until you're out of school that you realize that you like the structure and that you like the constant kind of um, feedback of like taking exams and getting grades back. It's like this kind of um, like positive reinforcement thing that you're like have become associated with. And a lot of people have a really hard time transitioning into the work life. When now you're not surrounded by your classmates, maybe you're not um, having to stick to such a strict schedule. You may feel a little bit lost. You're having to feel like a quote unquote adult now because you're making real money and you're having to worry about finding all these, all these things. So just with your mental health and realize that it's a big transition and that this might be like Danielle said, a really good time to get a therapist, not just to talk about like hard things that are going to happen at work, but to talk about just the general life transition that you're going through. Too, and I know you're going to agree with this one, try to make friends that are nurses. Maybe they don't have to be on your unit. Try to stay in touch with friends that are in that you went to nursing school with because yes. it can be really hard being a new nurse and going out with your, your friends and everyone's complaining about their work environment. And you're just like, I just saw someone like die last week. How could you complain about your boss sending you an email about your Instagram TPS post? TPS reports. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Whatever yeah. it is that, um, that they're doing. But you can have frustrating moments with friendships that aren't necessarily in healthcare. It's not their fault. It's just really helpful to have people to relate to. Yes. Now to wrap this up, because I think this is just the funniest question that we got. And I, I feel like they're coming from a very serious place. Some sweet soul asked me, if does writing care plans get easier? And I just have to like, <laughs> you're just never going to fucking write another care plan as soon as you get out of school. I don't, I don't know what, I don't know how else to tell you. You are never going to write another fucking care plan in no. your life. You know, I will say one note, they've gotten rid of nursing diagnoses that, that those are gone. Oh, wow. Nursing diagnoses are gone, but care plans are here to stay. So I do tell my students that are complaining about it. I just say, I hate that I have to tell you this, but care plans are a rite of passage in nursing school. And you will laugh about this one day. I promise you just try to make the most of it. Try to understand what's going on with your patient. I'm here to help you, but it's a rite of passage. Suck it up. I remember days when I would spend weekends, I would spend hours Trying to write the perfect care plan. And you're like, care plans really morph into how you stand up and advocate for your patients during rounds. Completely. I agree with that. I do. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You aren't going to have to write out another care plan because no one's going to read it. Yeah, no, nobody's ever going to They're going to read your notes. They're going to read what notes you have made on the patients. They're going to listen to you if you are there on rounds. You know, especially if you're bedside nursing, doctors round in the a.m. and they round on the p.m. before they 
you know, retire for the night. Unless you've got a super sick patient, they're going to be by your bedside all night long. But yeah, it's, yeah, care plans really morph into a collaborative discussion around what's best for that patient. Yes, exactly. Well, to our nursing (laughs) students listening to this, I hope you found this helpful. If you did, please share this episode with your fellow nursing students, to everyone who's in your study group, to anyone you know that's also in school or maybe is about to start school or maybe just got accepted to their nursing program and is starting in the fall. Such an exciting time. But we do hope that this was super helpful. Like we started with the beginning of this episode, yes, Danielle and I are going through this egg freezing journey with co-fertility and we needed to take a little break from the egg freezing. And so it was nice to have this fun little episode here. It was so fun. I love these episodes. They make me happy. A hundred percent. We will be back with egg freezing next week. So we hope that you guys enjoyed this little break with us too. You know where to find us at the WOMED on Instagram and on TikTok. We love hearing all of your comments and DMs. So be sure to follow along wherever you listen to podcasts, rate, review, share, all the things. We love you. We are so excited that you're here. And on that note, WOMED out. Out.